G'day everyone, welcome back to For the Love of Brick, a fortnightly podcast where I talk to people from all over the world about their love of Lego. This week I chat with Tom Olfen, also known as the Brick Architect. Tom, if you didn't already know, is the author of the Lego Architect book, and he also wrote an awesome guide to Lego storage. But what I and most people probably know him for are his Lego labels. <laughs> These things are... Oh, they're the best. In all honesty, I could chat with Tom in detail for hours on any one of the many things he has brought to the Lego community. But I decided to give all areas of his Lego journey a time to shine and see where the conversation took us. And bingo bango, I learnt a lot. And I hope you will too. So sit back and enjoy today's episode of For the Love of Brick. Hey Tom, thanks for coming on my podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure. I've been listening for some time now and I really enjoy uh, what you're bringing to the community, fresh perspectives and hearing from, you know, passionate people within our, in our hobby. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, yeah. I, as I always say, I didn't choose the best medium to do this in, but I'm like, oh, no, well. I think that's actually what works because it's like, you you have to find different stories and that's why you should talk about people yeah yeah it's the people not the lego and in saying right. that um for the people that don't know who you are uh would you be able to tell me a little bit about yourself please uh yeah i'm happy to um so um i'm 40 years old uh i'm a user experience engineer at microsoft um where i design uh, new features for windows and i've been working on the windows project for for quite a while now um and uh, obviously I love Lego, um, but um, there's definitely a big dark ages in my, in my Lego career, um, which dropped off in 1990 or so after the Pirates theme, which was my <laughs> last like real love as a kid with Lego. Um, and then um, thankfully um, uh, either my wife or my family would you know, usually buy like one small kit for me over the years. So I never totally lost touch with the, with the hobby. Um, yep. But what slew, slowly and eventually quickly drew me back in was the Lego architecture series, um, which would be uh, no surprise for a lot of people because um, probably the biggest thing I've done as a, as a member of the Lego community is, is publish uh, a book, The Lego Architect in uh, October, 2015. Yep. Um, and that was, that didn't just come out of nowhere. <laughs> um, what, what, what really kind of happened was um, I was building the, the Lego architecture sets um, and which I got into pretty early on because one of the first ones was the Space Needle and I live in Seattle area. Yep. So, um, so that kind of drew me in and I was building them kind of as they came out, although I missed some of the, the larger kits like Roby House, I had to go back and get a little later. Um, but I guess it was 2013 that the Lego Architecture Studio kit came out. And it was this big square box with just white and clear pieces in it. And oh. something about that kit just caught my attention and grabbed me in a sort of creative way. And I had immediately when I saw it, I was like, this would be a perfect present. Someone in my family would love to get for me. I could wait till Christmas. <laughs> and uh, it, it'd be that thing under the tree that like, I don't have to pretend I like, I love, like I'm super excited about. 
but I couldn't even wait. And I bought it in maybe October. Like, I don't think it was more than a month or two after the kit came out. Um, and to kind of hold myself to taking this expensive, unjustified purchase uh, seriously, yep. I invented this idea of doing a 30-day challenge where I would build 30 Lego architecture models um, uh. and blog about it on my website, which uh, was, or still is, tomalfin.com. Yep. So over the course of about probably more like two or three months, I built uh, 30 different uh, projects using the parts in the Lego Architecture Studio kit, um, as yep. well as some other just common white Lego parts I was able to purchase through, say, BrickLink. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And I focused on uh, about half of the articles were about um, taking a architectural style that intrigued me and trying to learn a little bit about it and create a Lego model that captured the essence of that of that style. Um, and that, those are some of my favorite articles within this, the 30 or so I, I, I wrote um, I, for my website. I do like the mini city because <laughs> I'm, oh, yeah. I'm a micro builder. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I did, which check I did. Out, I, God, I, I need to check that out again. I don't, I can't even remember what I did. Because that <laughs> was 2013. Cube and, yeah. It's, but oh, again, oh, that one was cool. The, the Escher one, the Escher Waterfall. Uh, uh, the Escher cool. Waterfall was build 12. I'm talking about build okay. 14, the mini city. But yeah, oh, the okay. Escher build as well. It's like, but I was wondering why you built, because I never got back to article one. I was like, why is he building just in white? Did you just, did you just have white? <laughs> And then, yeah, well, obviously. Yeah, and and I really did just have white parts at that point because I didn't have my my parts from growing up. All I really had was that Lego Architecture Studio kit, um, and that's kind of what sucked me in. So yeah, that's how they got you. <laughs> that is how they got me for sure. And so then you did the um, book, the Lego Architecture book. Yeah. So so I, so the uh, I was I had put these uh, thirty different challenges uh, up on my website, and I did a few other Lego related projects after that. But it was kind of sitting on my website, and I hadn't been investing a ton of energy into it. Um, and it happens we were traveling in Europe. We were in Paris, and we had just either gone to or about to go to the Centre Pompidou, which is the big modern art gallery in downtown, yep. which is this crazy looking building. I think it was going to be the next day, actually. And I received this email from a publisher saying, hey, we really like what you're doing with uh, with your 30-day challenge. Uh, have you considered uh, writing a book about Lego architecture? Um, and the honest answer is no. I, I, I had not considered writing a book <laughs> at all. Um, and But I did... Uh, I did think about it, you know, quite, it, it kind of caught my attention and, and piqued my interest. What would um, I focus on in a book about Lego and architecture? And um, it really came as like this fully formed thought when I, when I spent just even the slightest bit of time thinking about this idea. Um, it was like, well, I would teach common styles of architecture using Lego. And yeah. um, I would, I was, I'd already started building these like small sort of sketch style models using the white bricks of the Lego architecture studio set. So it was, it was not much of a leap to be like, Oh, okay, well I could do that same thing. Um, but with a little bit more research and a little bit more uh, thought into it and build building instructions and whatnot. And um, it was probably only a month, maybe two months after they had reached out to me with this idea that I was, I presented them with a uh, fully formed draft chapter it was about okay. Art Deco. Yep. Um, and even in that very early draft, it had the sort of same format that the book 
actually uh, went out with, which is uh, sort of a, a photos of real buildings um, yep. in that style and a brief history of the style. Um, definitely written for an adult audience, but but a very brief sort of Reader's Digest summary of the style and the main uh, historical and design points in the style. Um, yep. Then uh, shifting to photos of really cool Lego models that other builders had built in that style as okay. a way of sort of bringing you along from real buildings to Lego models in that style. And then closing it off with, because I feel like at least for me, there's nothing quite like building to as a way of learning. So I included uh, at least in instructions for at least one um, small uh, model in that style, sometimes two. Um, and most of them were caricatures of real buildings as opposed to fully rendered, fully detailed models um, of real buildings. Yeah. Um, but the whole point of it was to, or at least I hoped for people to build that model, kind of internalize what that architectural style was about, and then maybe take it apart and immediately start building something else that they were inspired from in that chapter. Yeah. Um, and in a way, I almost like the, the book format is great for connecting with an audience, but in a way, I'd almost rather someone just got one chapter at a time so that they could really <laughs> wallow in one style for a week or something yeah. um, and, and then really play with it with their bricks um, before moving on to the next one. Um, but but the, the book was exhausting to write. I, I cannot stress how hard it is to write a book. And I was trying to do that while working as a software engineer at the same time. Uh, but it really exceeded my expectations as to how successful it could be. The response was huge. Um, it's, I think, on its 10th printing in English. It's been in 10 oh, languages total. Um, so it's available around the world. And that's just just wild to me. To, when I, yeah. like, the first time I held a copy of this book not in English, it was Japanese. And I was like, <laughs> what has happened? This is so cool. Um, <laughs> And it, and it just gets, it, when you get that second or third, you're just like, this is super surreal. Um, but it's been, it's a hoot. Um, and it kind of, you know, in the course of only about two years, I went from being a nobody in the Lego community to someone who'd put out this book that was pretty well known. And yep. it gave me an opportunity to, um, to connect with just a ton of people in the Lego community, which has been, which has been awesome. <laughs> and um, so you introduce yourself now as an author. You're like, I'm an author. <laughs> I, I, I think that, um, I mean, aside from how weird that seems, sounds to say, yeah. Yeah. like when I was like, right after the book came out, it was kind of hard not to introduce myself into the Lego community as the author of this book. Cause yeah. it was kind of the only thing I'd ever done that related to Lego that mattered to the AFL <laughs> community. And I'm happy that since then, I'm my my what I've made for the community is a lot more rounded um, yeah. in that like I've done the book um, as the book was wrapping up I developed a new website brickarchitect.com where I had yep. a blank canvas to tell whatever stories about Lego I wanted to to build anything to create real like resources for the community um, yep. and and now people when I connect with people that have maybe heard my name or recognize it um, I have no way of knowing if it's like they an experience with my book or if they use the labels that I produce to help people organize their collection. Um, yeah, as as you, yeah. Um, or they've seen my Lego storage guide, which is a tremendously popular resource to help people figure out like what to do with this never-ending growing collection of, of Lego uh -huh. 
uh, bricks, um, but also just like from articles or things I've built. Um, it's been quite a hoot. <laughs> yeah, because I was going to say, because um, we'll stay with the book for a little bit more um, before I delve into all the other areas. <laughs> but with with um, the book, how long did it take? Like, and what was the response by um, Lego? Like, <laughs> yeah um if you're so the response by the re response by lego is um more or less non-existent because the publisher i worked with is no starch press and they are an independent publisher um and they um do a lot of extremely high quality lego uh books um but they are not a licensed relationship with the lego group um yep. The reason they're allowed to produce books with the word Lego in them is because uh, Lego's fair use policy, um, which governs the use of their brand, um, is such that you are allowed to use the word Lego in a book title, although you are not allowed to use it in something like a URL. So I can't be legoarchitect.com. I have to be brickarchitect.com for, for that reason. Yeah. Um, but I did eventually hear from actual, some, some people at the Lego group, and I've since met quite a few people um, uh, at the company, um, although it's usually more of a, a, a friendship than like a professional relationship, yeah. if that makes any sense. Um, the biggest way I knew that they knew about my book and liked my book was when I was finally had the chance to visit Villand and go to the Lego house um, building, which is quite a literal monument to um, both the Lego brick and the fan community. Um, they have like a little section of books on like, near the atrium and I, I found mine there and I was like, okay, I, I guess <laughs> if ever there was a formal statement that I had made it, I guess that that might have been it. Um, Let's but, go. Would you like, yeah. oh, do you want me to sign these? No. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Super weird when someone asks you to sign it and I'm like, it's always happy to do it, but I'm just like, yeah. I'm not like a rock star. What is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> um, and how long did it take you to do the book? Like, or you're like, how long's a piece of string, Greg? I'd lost count of the days and hours. Yeah. Um, so to do the book was about a year and a half, I think. Okay. Um, that was definitely not a healthy pace. I should have spread that out over a longer period of time. Um, but I also was learning everything as I went because yeah. I have enough of a, an aesthetic pers perspective and I, I'm, I do basically user experience design in my day job. So I wasn't going to let someone else do the layout and graphic design for my book. So instead of just handing all of the text and images over to the publisher and letting them lay it out, um, which is what I think they normally do. I was, I was sending the Adobe InDesign files back and forth with them. And I, uh, with a little help from their graphic design team kind of came up with the style used for the, the whole book, the, um, the, typographic treatments, the page numbering. Yeah. I, I wanted the each chapter to have a different color associated with it. And then I used oh, okay. that color um, in the corner where the, the page number is. Um, Cause I just wanted it to be this, not just like a book you read, but more of a resource. And I felt yeah. like having this sort of more paginated um, structured, organized uh, approach would help people be able to pick it up m more than once and use it when, when the, when they needed something from it. Um, yeah. And so that was that was also a lot of work in addition to doing all the research for all the chapters, making sure <laughs> I was talking about these architectural styles in a 
sincere and factual way and collecting and curating all the photographs of the various uh, real buildings, reaching out to all the Lego artists and getting permission for all of, all of the images of their work. And um, yeah. I mean, of course, looking back, there are things I wish I did a little bit differently, but still when I pick it up, it, it's, a, it's a piece of pride. Yeah, so. that's it. I'll have to go search that one out. <laughs> um, right on. Now, so I like to build in micro scale, like as in that's how I first started. And it was through a necessity of the amount of bricks I didn't have. Is that sort of how you, because I feel with architecture, like you can, you can, you can build minifigure scale, but who's got the room? Um, is that sort of why you went down the mini scale? micro scale sort of way or is it just like i th i think there's two reasons why i gravitate to the the very very small scale models and the yep. first is that um the, like the point you just made around necessity um i started with a pretty small lego collection um and i wanted to build cool stuff so if i wanted to build cool stuff with a small number of parts you're building something that's pretty constrained in scale um, but the second thing, which I think is now that I have a huge room full of Lego and um, I still like to build small and I think it's the um, the artistic and creative and technical challenge of trying to capture a lot of detail into a small amount of space. Um, that is uh, very, very hard to do right, but yep. it is one of the most rewarding things when you figure out a part or a technique that allows you to achieve your vision using uh, just a couple of perfectly selected parts. Um, and um, I, I, I have, my most recent project was a model of Pittsburgh, which yep. is in the skyline style. And um, I took it upon myself to make it as compact as possible and truly look like it's to scale with all of the official um, skyline sets. And uh, one of the things I've seen in a lot of the custom mocks that people do around in the sort of the Lego architecture skyline style is that um, instead of the sort of four stud depth that the official kits try to sort of stick to for the majority of the model, of course it'll jut forward a little bit or jut back a little bit yeah. for some some elements um but if you if you jump to like eight studs deep you could get away with throwing a whole lot more parts in there um you can <laughs> you can solve problems uh by just building bigger and uh that's not the challenge that cap like captivates me the challenge for me is 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 the trying to find that one way to do it with just a small number of parts yeah. um so that that's what that's that's what i kind of geek out on is is the, the building techniques, the creative parts usage. Uh, um, and I will say anyone who thinks that um, people who build small are doing it to save time, it's honestly the opposite. Oh, building yeah. larger is actually a lot faster because just clicking pieces together because you know where they need to yeah. go doesn't take any time at all. Um, trying to find exactly the right bits and bobs to, to create the story you're trying yeah. to create could take weeks or months even. Yeah, yeah I like, I, and, th and that's it exactly. It's okay, I need there to be a window. How do I make a window? Like, yeah. And exactly. <laughs> how do I make this thing happen with like doing it with a couple of bricks? Ah, 
yeah um yeah it's yeah it's, and there's it's, actually it's, an extra there's an extra challenge with the the skyline style models um which <clears> is because you've got three to five buildings all next to each other it's not good enough that each one of them is a accurate model at a at particular scale they actually have to be scale to scale to each other to each other and yeah. that is crazy difficult because one of the most common techniques i hear and i use when trying to build say architecture using lego is you look at a building you say okay what is going to be the hardest detail of this whole building to recreate using lego and once you figure out the most optimal part or combination of parts to achieve that tricky bit then you sort of allow that to define the scale for the rest of the model that works perfectly for a standalone model of a single building. But when yep. you have four buildings next to each other and you want <laughs> them to be, you know, say plus or minus five or 10% in terms of scale to each other, you want them to be pretty accurate to how they look in real life. Um, then you end up having to find multiple ways to solve the hardest parts of the buildings and then look at them in, in next to each other and figure out, okay, what is the set of trade-offs that actually results in the most harmonious complete model? Yeah. Um, and in, in the case of this model of Pittsburgh, I did, I've got five different versions, I think, of the Cathedral of Learning building, which is uh, this beautiful yep. building at this transitional moment in history where it looks kind of like it's an Art Deco building, but it's actually sort of the last vestiges of the earlier um, skyscraper Gothic style. Yep. Um, and I have like one that's maybe, I don't know, six inches tall. Um, another one that was maybe four or five inches tall, and the, the final one that actually works because it's to scale with the rest of the, the buildings in the, in, the, in the model ends up being only about three inches tall. And trying to yeah. get that much detail into that little space um, is, is like the ultimate challenge. And when you finally get it right, you're like, yes, it's real satisfying. So I was about um, to say, I'm looking at it now, and you've done a good job. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> One I was impressed with was the um, U.S. Steel Building, um, mainly because of the way it's connected. Um, it's in the blog, everyone. Go check it out. Um, but, yeah, to, like, have one part just obviously standing up via bricks and so forth. Like, I think it's, like, the L-plate thing on the side. I don't know names. Uh, <laughs> but then you've got the... Um, so you've got the two-by-two yeah, two yeah. plate with holes in them, I think it is. And you're obviously putting a rod through the middle of them to create that triangle. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this was, this was the most technically, this is the most technically difficult aspect of the model, other than perhaps the, the angle that I used for the, um, the stadium on the left side yep. of the model, um, which I can mention in a bit, but what, what I did to create that building is I realized that the easiest way to make a triangle is to essentially create the three walls that are of the same length yep. um, and then figure out just some solution to connect them together. And I, instead of trying to make sure all three of the sides could connect with bricks down to the base of the model, I just figured I could take one of those three sides, connect it to the bottle, bottom, and then just connect the other two sides and connect them to it. Yeah. So what I did there is I used, uh, I think it is a one by two with a uh, Technic uh, a pinhole in it. 
along the edges, both edges of these two panels. And I, it's almost like a zipper. They alternate which one is connected yeah. to which side, and then they sort of zipper together and they're just sort of pushed into place. And then you just drop a pin in it and um, it all holds together um, because it just can't pop out that way. Yeah. Um, and that, that, was, that was the result of six or seven different attempts to figure out how to create it. Um, almost all of them using different technic pieces that you of course ultimately can barely see in the finished model. But yeah. um, I definitely learned that from some other talented Lego architecture builders. Is, um, using a structural core of, of technic can often save your bacon. Yeah. Cause, cause I was going to say you could have like, if you'd used like, let's say hinges, it'd make the building look totally different. Like, you know, cause it'd give it that like knobby sort of thing. Whereas the way you've done it. Yeah. It yeah. And, the, and then you'd have smooth. bricks on the exterior as opposed to the plates facing outward. Yeah. No, good work. Thank you. <laughs> um <clears throat> okay what else we got um so how long did it take you to actually do the pittsburgh like what's let's jump to the side for a second let's say how do you go about building that like are you uh in the computer builder or are you just no i'm tactile and sort of what's your what's your plan of attack yeah, my I build I build with bricks. Um, I don't worry that much when I'm designing uh, about whether they're the right color necessarily. Um, but I will build with with real bricks. Um, I prototype things out. I keep a couple of the prototypes sitting on the table as I go in case I forget how I had done something in the past. I could kind of go back to it. Um, and then I I'm pretty pretty fluent in the digital building uh, tools. I finally feel like um, with the updates they've been making that the studio, Bricklink Studio software is, uh, is, is probably the best one. Although for the longest time I was using a, a, an app called MLCAD, which is an older app, um, yep. but it works better with my brain in some ways because it has the old school sort of top left, right perspective. So you can see the three flat perspectives and then the fourth corner is a 3D view. Yep. Um, but um, the, the studio software is more of an immersive 3D environment where you um, rely on the fact that it knows which bricks can connect to each other. So you can kind of drop pieces on, change their orientation quickly and then snap them together. Um, yep. And it's pretty quick. Um, if I actually had memorized all the part IDs, I think it would be faster than building with real bricks. But of course, I don't know very many people who actually know all the part IDs. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I love your labeling system because <laughs> you just, oh, that's what it is. Um, exactly, yeah. And that's what I have in this room here. It's actually a quite small room, um, but our house isn't huge. And I've got one set of drawers behind me, which are basic parts sorted by, um, by part and color. So I have like one drawer of, of blue and it has bricks, plates, and tiles. Um, and then everything else is just sorted by part and oh. if i want a specific color i just pull the drawer out rummage until i find the color i need um, and if i don't have the right color i just pick a color that's either uh, closest or sometimes obviously wrong um, yep. so that i know to go to go get the right parts later um, and i do have some overflow storage so like if the drawer is a pretty common part i'll pull it out and there's a little piece of paper in there that says like oh i've got like you know 100 extra 
in green. And then I can go to like my other drawers that have everything just tightly packed in Ziploc bags. Um, yep. But but I don't I don't quite understand people's obsession with having like infinite quantities of every part in every color. Um, like it's just it's fine. You can go order what you need when you need it. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 for us people that can't wait. <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to ever have to wait to get the creative idea out of my head. So I want to yep. have like at least a few of the parts, even yeah. if it's the wrong color. Um, but I'm not I'm not super worried about waiting to get the right color or whatever. It's fine. So with with your storage, because you did do the the Lego storage guide, um, you just love making work for yourself, don't you? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I love creating resources for the community. I think yeah, it's probably no, it's the, the honest truth because um, it's so much work to do something like create and update and maintain the the Lego labels or the storage guide. Um, I probably would have stopped years ago if it weren't for so much positive feedback from the community like people really seem to appreciate those resources so i kind of keep putting the energy in with the lego storage guide how did that come about like was it just people asking you or were you just like you know what there's nothing here i'm just i'm gonna help i think it was more the latter i was realizing that there weren't good resources to help people figure out both sort of conceptually how to sort, like what strategies should I employ to sort and organize and store my collection, um, as well as the more literal, what products work well for storing and sorting Lego. Um, so that's kind of was the impetus. I recognized there was a gap in what the community had to offer and I kind of went after it. Um, the first draft probably took maybe two or three months to kind of craft it out. Um, and it had roughly the same chapters um, that I that I still have, um, but but yeah, it it took a it took a while, and then I've continued to refine it since then. Um, I would love to put more energy into it, but I just feel like I'm always pulled in ten thousand different ways with both Lego related hobby stuff and and other stuff. <laughs> um, but Family, yeah, it's it's love. a it's a nice resource, and I I consistently get you know a lot of appreciation for it. And one of the parts that probably is less noticed by the adult fan community is that there are chapters for people with very small and and what I call a medium size collection. Yep. Um, and the small collection really is written for 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 parents with kids of that have maybe you know two thousand Lego pieces. And I really am trying hard with that article that chapter to encourage them to not try to organize. It's like just yeah. dump it out on the floor and allow kids to sort of experience that sort of serendipitous discovery of digging through the parts and finding something cool that makes them excited about building as opposed to having that thought in your head that I need a one by three plate in a particular color. Otherwise I, my model is ruined because that just doesn't work <laughs> with small, with small collections. And then when you get into the medium collections, you start talking about the, the smaller collections that adults have as well as the, um, the the collections that a kid who's been building for a long time might eventually get. Um, and then I suggest the things like, you know, probably, I mean, teach their own, but probably don't sort by color unless it's for a fairly young kid. It's better to sort by like sort of part categories, plates, tiles, minifig accessories, um, yep. snot related pieces, um, hinges, uh, stuff like that. And that's, 
that's kind of a nice transitional way of thinking about your collection because you're starting to build a schema around what these different kinds of parts can do and how yeah. they connect to each other um, and kind of getting into the the more technical aspects of the hobby without you know having i don't know what more than a thousand tiny drawers on the wall <laughs> i myself i sort by piece um you know for all the smaller things and the things that there's like thousands of plates are colors in sizes yeah. and so forth like that um and same as bricks um i think it's a forever sort of thing isn't it just just sorting yeah <laughs> it, it is and uh i guess it was last fall uh, a, num a number of people who attended BrickCon created a uh, lego sorting themed quote quote lug it's not like a fully sanctioned lug or anything like that but it's called sort lug and it's just an evening group where people get together and talk about lego while at least nominally sorting because it's the ever forever task that we all have um yep. uh, and that's just sort of it's i think that the fact that that was created um uh, and continues is 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 speaking pretty strongly to um the fact that it's Perhaps unfortunately, although some people find sorting soothing, it's just an inevitable <laughs> aspect of our hobby. And if you want to build anything huge, you're you're sorting a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, even if you're not building anything, like just if you're building in general, like the amount of times, like yeah, and yeah, you, totally. you're forever sorting. Like just even your table yeah. scraps, you're just like, oh. like my my room's a mess at the moment. My wife's yeah. like, you're gonna clean it. It's like, oh yeah, yeah it's gonna happen. Uh, at least the part right behind your camera looks all right. Yeah, no, that's my wife's section. That's that's oh, where well, that... she... <laughs> well, you can tell her she's doing a good job. Yeah. That's mine. Yeah, I'm, it's, it's I'm... not too bad. I've seen much, much, much worse. Yeah, I'm fixing up my Batmobile at the moment, but that's another story. Um, Is this your custom, your custom project? Yeah, so it's the 2021 Batmobile. But yeah, 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 um, yeah. I built it and i'm just trying to make it a bit more structurally sound so Got it's it. pulling apart so with your collection like do you have a rough count or at least weight because <laughs> i'm like i don't know the count but i know there's at least 40 kilos plus on this wall um so uh in i got about a year ago i did a, an ama on reddit this was like early in the pandemic and i was just thinking it wasn't going to last that long so maybe a, an ama would be a fun way to break things up and connect with readers uh of my book and whatnot um and one person asked me how many bananas does my collection weigh um and i thought that was <laughs> bizarre and apparently it's a pretty common like theme in in ama land on reddit but i had never been asked about bananas and i didn't know about yeah, bananas yeah. So I just did some math and um, I concluded that uh, I have sort of six of these large drawers and six smaller uh, drawers. Um, and that re re represents the bulk of my, uh, like of my parts. So um, I determined that it was like nine bins of about 15 pounds each. So that's like 135 pounds. Um, I multiplied that by two and a half because there's a lot of stuff not in there. That got me up to like 330 pounds. Uh, and there's about four bananas per pound. So I come up with a 1,350 bananas. That's um, a lot of banana. That's a lot of bananas. And I have no idea how accurate that is because it's not based on any like actual measurements of the number of pieces or anything like that. Um, and I 
don't remember when I estimated it, but I think I'm probably hovering in the 200K pieces, um, wow. which is yeah. crazy lot, but also not, um, <laughs> not that much compared to a lot of the builders I know. Yeah. Um, and I, I should caveat that that includes a ton, a ton, a ton of one by one bricks, plates and tiles because yeah. when I have had the opportunity to order parts through the lug bulk program, I don't order big parts because I don't have space to put them. So I basically took it upon myself. I was like, hey, I would love to be in a situation where I never have to order one by one anything from Bricklink. Um, yep. So I have nearly feelingly inf infinite amounts of those pieces, but the the larger parts, you know, I just I just don't see the point hoarding them because they probably will never get used and it's a waste of space. It's a waste of natural resources. Like I'll just order from Bricklink when I need it. Yeah. So I was going to say, so yeah, yeah, 1350 bananas. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's actually a good measurement. Like as in, um, cause I was like pounds, pounds, what's that in kilos? What's that in kilos? 2.2. Like, and I'm like, Oh, bananas. Okay. I get that. Yeah. That's a lot of bananas. Uh, now with your, um, with, with your storage, you would obviously have to label them. Is that why you started the labeling system? Cause you're like me and you don't remember things. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. That actually is why, um, I, I built the, I started the labeling, uh, because my collection was growing a bit because after I finished the 30 day challenge project, um, I kept ordering, you know, mostly white pieces because I was kind of sticking to that theme for my own model building. Yep. Um, especially as I was, I decided to do the book also using white pieces. Um, and I just wanted to have a better sense of the parts and it ended up being this interesting self-fulfilling thing that I created first the labels for all of the parts in the architecture studio set. Um, and I can't remember exactly how many unique parts there are in that set, but it's on the order of a hundred unique parts. Um, and then I started creating labels for all of the other parts that I thought were interesting and chose to order on Bricklink to add to my collection. So I'd have like, you know, say a dozen or two dozen of them, just enough to, to build stuff with. Yep. Um, and I, a little while later, I shared it online and made them available to others. Um, and people liked it. And then I um, bought a huge bulk used bit, uh, uh, used up uh, uh i'm not talking correctly and then i bought a uh, large um, bulk lot of used bricks yep. over the holidays uh in the middle of all of this and that gave me a pretty good cross-section of common parts um from the last say 10 years at the time and i used those that as i was sorting those I, I made labels for them and by the time i got to maybe two or three hundred labels um it started becoming a, a fairly useful collection that others were, were, were interested in using as well. Um, but something interesting happened. The, the very process of meticulously and painstakingly going through every single part and making sure I pick the right orientation of the part to get the, yep. the little picture most readable from you know across the room. Um, and then I had created a bunch of scripts to get the really high contrast images out of LDRAW um, that make those uh, the labels work really well. Um, and then thinking about how do I make an even shorter name for that part so that in like maybe 40, 40 characters, you can describe what that part is in a unique way. 
I was starting to build this just sort of different kind of mental model for what these parts were and how they went together and when you should use them. Um, and I just don't know how else I would have gotten to the point where I am now where I really just know what most of the common parts are. Maybe the thousand most common parts are kind of just in my head and I can I can build with them in my head. In addition to trying to fully sort of absorb all the parts into my head and trying to figure out um, how they go together, one of the yeah. other challenges um, that I encountered while doing the labels project is coming up with groupings that made sense, not just to me, but to everybody else. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll use a classic example for anyone who's uh, used a lot of, uh, use BrickLink a lot. Basically every part you care about is called plate comma modified. And yes. that, that includes things that are, have a clip connector to them. That includes things that, um, are just basically plates. There it includes uh, a lot of some of the snot pieces as well. Um, their categories are absolute crap. Um, they have nothing to do with how you use the parts. They just have to do with this just sort of generic, abstract, mechanical description of the shape, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to come up with a small enough number of categories that people could like grok them, um, yeah. but also a large enough number of categories that. Um, each category has some actual meaning. Um, and I think I'm at about 14 categories at this point where the largest category is Technic. Um, and Technic itself yep. has fairly well-defined subcategories within it. Um, and that seems to work pretty well. That's, a, that's about the right number of categories for my brain. Um, and having talked to a lot of Lego builders who either use my labels or in some cases just print out the PDF to use as a resource, when they're yep. trying to solve pr technical problems, they're like, oh, I need a part to solve this problem, but I can't think of one that that, that would work here. Uh, um, you can just thumb through the guide, not not as a not as an organizational tool, but just as a sort of inspiration tool. Um, so uh, as I've been organizing or building these these categories, there's definitely certain parts that I get a little tripped up on, and those are the parts that truly fit in multiple categories because they effectively have two equally relevant connection types in that part. Um, one, that, one of the best examples is there's a part that has a Technic pin on one end, and then it has a mini toe ball connection on the other end. Yep. And that part could just as easily go in the Technic section or the Technic category, or it could go in the, the uh, ball joint uh, category. Um, yep. and, and both of those options are reasonable but both of those are going to be wrong for certain people or in certain uh, building scenarios. So I have had to make somewhat arbitrary choices for stuff like that. Um, I do think, I haven't written it down, but I think there's sort of an evolving hierarchy such that like which connector uh, takes precedent over which other connector. Um, like I certainly know that if a part has a Technic connection in it, it's gonna probably go in Technic and not in the yeah. system like bricks um, section. Um, but a lot of it's just driven by instinct. And I almost never have gotten feedback that I put things in the wrong category. Um, and that's either because people are too shy to tell me that I'm wrong or yeah. that uh, my instinct is is matching up with what most people, the way, way most people think about Lego as well. Well, it'd be pretty rich for them to go, hey, this free resource, you've done it wrong. <laughs> you would be surprised. Uh, I, I do occasionally <laughs> get saucy, responses for my free resource but 
oh, wow. teach their own. Oh, okay. Not often. Usually it's quite appreciative. The most, yeah. most common thing is, why don't you have labels for this rare part that they haven't made in 20 years? And I'm like, I feel like you probably just answered the question for, for yeah. yourself. <laughs> That's it. Just do a handwritten one for that. But in saying that, there's a lot of new parts coming out. Are you like, Lego, seriously, stop for a second. No, I um, no, I actually have a whole system in place for dealing with uh, incoming parts as it comes as it relates to the labeling system. And what I've done is I I refresh maybe every couple months. Uh, Bricklink they have one page on Bricklink which you can see when parts are added to the database. Yeah. And I just write down the date which was the last time I checked, and then I will go through the ten or twenty pages to see if any new parts had been added since the last time I checked that okay. quote quote matter in my mind yeah. um and i've i, I uh, that idea that a part matters is super subjective and the way i actually do it to just keep my myself sane is i kind of have three columns in a OneNote file the first column is parts that i just know are going to become mainstream everyday parts that are in multiple different themes it's not like star wars only or something Yep. And the second column is parts that have broad utility, but I just don't believe are going to be super common. And yep. then the third column is extremely narrow use case parts. And I usually put like kind of cool minifig accessories in that category as well, um, because okay. um, I like to keep tabs on the, those new and interesting parts because you would be surprised a part that seems very narrow in use um, yep. could could find out that it's actually quite useful. Um, a good example of that is the uh, minifig lipstick part, which is uh, oh, yep. it, one, one, one side is rigid, the other side is actually slightly bendy uh, plastic. Um, yep. And they it's been used in official architecture sets. I think the um, Chicago kit uses it as the top of one of the buildings because yep. it's a bar element that's actually quite short. Um, so... Um, that was a good example of a seemingly very narrow use case part that ended up having some slightly wider, um, wider utility. Um, but that's sort of how I frame it. And then what I, the, the, the true decision as to whether it's going to get added to the, the label collection or not is based on how many sets it's in, how many colors it's in, sort of as a yeah. proxy for its just broadness of utility. Um, and then lastly, my just sort of gut instinct as to whether this part matters or not, um, which again is of course subjective. Um, I'm a little bit more generous with Technic parts because there's so many fewer Technic sets every year. Yeah. And I just know how the Technic community uh, will latch on to quite rare parts as the best way to solve certain technical problems or yeah. some creative way to build an even better great ball machine than than the, <laughs> the last one you built. Yep. Um, and so I try to be a little bit more generous with Technic, but for minifig accessories, I'm quite strict. It has to have pretty broad use to get added to the collection. Yeah. For regular parts, it has to be in, let's say, I'm making this up a little bit, but like maybe 10, 10 sets in its first two years would be a good starting point. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the last category is stuff I just feel like having labels for because I, I personally care about that part. Um, yeah. So every once in a while, things get a pass and I put it in a little early. Um, well, you're doing it for you anyway at the end of the day. <laughs> I, 
I'm kind of doing it for me. Like I say that I'm doing it for me, but I do find myself sometimes releasing a brand new update and not having yet even printed those labels for my own collection yet, because some of yeah. those parts are so new that I don't even really have them yet. Um, and I'm working on an update. I've been working on an update the last couple of days and it includes a lot of parts that I don't actually have yet. Um, and I'll catch up eventually. And um, so do you take a, well, actually, cause you don't have the part. How do you get the picture for the part? Do you just grab them off Bricklink and so forth? Just no, yeah, no, the Bricklink pictures are not satisfactory for me. Um, the really the the real problem is they're designed to print on a black and white printer that's not even very high resolution. Yeah. Um, but I love the printer because the the, the label tape is actually a plastic material, um, yep. and the the adhesive is not. Uh, that kind of garbage adhesive that if you ever need to take it off, it leaves a bunch of sticky goo behind. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, I use a brother label printer. Um, yep. And Same. the, the only way it looks good is if I make extremely high contrast images. So if you look at the little pictures, you'll see that the top of the picture is almost pure white. The left yep. facet is sort of like light medium gray. And then the right facet is almost purely black. Um, and that was the result of quite a bit of trial and error um, to figure out what looked right. So do you draw them in the computer and then they're no, done? I, or? No, I don't. I use um, the LDRAW app. Um, they have a very rich library of parts and ah, okay. they are really quite quick to create the 3D models of yeah. At least the kind of parts that I care about, which are the parts that are common and have wide utility. Um, so that is one of the prerequisites. And yes, sometimes parts that would otherwise meet the criteria of being, you know, generally useful and relatively widely available. They just haven't gotten around to building the, the model for that model part. For and it. it might have to wait another six months or a year um, before it gets added to the collection. I sometimes ask them and they're usually fairly responsive especially if I can back it up with data and say, hey, this is, you know, uh, a top new part. I have the data to prove it's in the top thousand most common parts from the last year or two. And like, you should really add it to the collection. <laughs> um, but so uh, the whole conversation around picking which parts to put in the labels um, dovetails nicely with another thing I work on, which is this Lego most common parts uh, resource. Um, and it's just a page on my website that shows the 600 most common parts um, but to create that, I needed to uh, first find a data source, which I use the Rebrickable database, um, which is freely downloadable. Um, and that gives you uh, the inventory of every set produced pretty much ever. So yeah. what I did is I created a bunch of database mumbo jumbo that allows me to calculate how many of each part you would get if you were to buy one of each set released in the last five years yeah. and just sort it by part. And that gives me this like long, 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 long list all the way down to parts that are super, super rare. Maybe they only have existed in one set in the last five years. Um, but the most common ones are, you know, many of the ones that you would expect. Uh, and it's, yep. it's, a, it's a cool resource. Um, but yeah, once you get past the first, say, 50 or so parts, which are pretty unsurprising, um, yep. you see some interesting stuff like parts that have just exploded in popularity. So maybe they were in you know, 500th place last, you know, over the previous five year span, and now they're in 200th place. Um, a good example of a part that's just totally exploded in popularity is 
the one by one quarter round tile that is like readily available in dot sets, but is yep. actually being used in other themes as well. Um, but yep. that part is now really common, but it was only invented a few, or few years ago, really. Um, so that's a really kind of cool resource. And the, the relevance yeah. to the labels is that by now having this list of you know, the top 600, or I even have the ability to go and look a lot further down the list than that, I can make sure that every single one of those 600 parts is in the label collection. Like, and I think yeah. I'm down to about 800 right now where the top 800 parts are all represented within the label collection. The labels are up to like, I think almost 1200 labels at this point. Yeah. It's, it's pretty nuts. Um, and in my, in my house, I have a thousand little drawers. So um, I can't even, I don't even have all the parts that are in the label collection at this point. You could make that the most clickbaitiest thing as well. It's like, you know, the 600 most common Lego parts, you wouldn't believe what's number 50. Yeah. I, Sorry. I, I, I'm not afraid of slightly clickbait articles, but without that like voice, I don't know that I could quite quite <laughs> capture the clickbait. Uh, I'll do it for you. Um, <laughs> but that's I'm also, also like... just crap at YouTube and audio. So like, I'm very much like a written medium I, I really do love all of your little resources like i i'm surprised i didn't find it earlier but i literally found it last night while obviously going through questions and everything oh sure but the um the ruler oh yeah the, yeah uh, that's brilliant like really <laughs> yeah so the 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 ruler i made <laughs> I don't know how many years ago, it was probably one of the first resources that I made for the Lego community. Yeah. Well, I made it for myself. And all it is, is a, uh, a simple template that you can print on either letter or A4 paper. You just have to print it at 100% to get the scale right. And it makes it easier to measure parts. You can just lay a large plate down on it and know exactly how long it is. Um, yep. It's got heights of bricks on one side. It helps you with all the awkward angles of Technic connectors. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's it's one of those things. If I feel like if I'm going to make something for myself, and this has sort of been central to my whole story with Lego, if I'm going to make something for myself, I'm going to spend twice as much time to make it something that everyone can use because why not? And yeah, uh, it's it's nice to help the community because the community gives back in a whole bunch of other ways. Well, that's it. Like as I said, like for the axles, brilliant. Because uh, that's the thing oh, that yeah. gets like especially when I'm sorting them, I'm like, yeah, that looks about that um yeah no thank you yeah i i can i can eyeball bricks <clears throat> up to about one by ten and after that it falls apart um and yeah the, the axles are probably about the same like i can eyeball about up to one by eight and then i have to use like count <laughs> <laughs> like how many is yeah just put it against yeah thing. you put it up yeah. against a piece and just count the studs yeah yeah, yeah. So thank you for that. That's that's awesome. And as I oh, said, this like I could we could literally chat for hours on various various things and geek out to the max. <laughs> um, so Tom, I assume you go to a lot of conventions. Well, did pre <laughs> what yep. we're in now. <laughs> um, but you, what are, what are some of your favorite things about? Um, or like you know your your cool experiences about going to cons and you know meeting yeah. everyone. Yeah, I mean, actually, you, you kind of answered it, which is meeting people is the core for me of 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 going to the convention. Um, 
for me, um, I, I do sometimes display stuff. Um, yep. It's rarely stuff that stands out that much because we already talked a little bit about how I prefer to build small intricate models. And the things that always get the awards at the cons are usually these just like eight foot wide things that are just massive investments in parts. And I yep. am not in any way, shape or form belittling the investment both in uh, techniques and parts and, and labor of love and craftsmanship of those big models. But it's just a different way of approaching the hobby than when, yeah. than you, when you really focus on building small. Um, so I tend to set up my couple things that I've brought, which is usually not very much if I, if I bring anything at all, and then focus on spending most of my time um, either meeting people or talking to people I already know, um, because you could just learn so much about the hobby by talking to other builders, um, especially those people who've been in the community for a long time and just just know it through and through. Um, and conventions are a hotspot for those people that have just just know the, the, the people who know everything. Um, yeah. So yeah, my, my favorite part is probably um, the, the, some combination of the talks and um, I mean, realistically, it's probably the going out and having a burger and beers with some people later in the evening because because we're still talking lego but in that just sort of yeah relaxing fun uh fun context um and of course i miss that on, on a sustainable basis i try to go to two conventions a year and that's uh, yeah. BrickCon in seattle every year because it's you know 20 minutes from here yeah. um, and then i try to alternate between brick can in vancouver yeah. and uh, bricks cascade in portland oregon um, okay. and both yeah. of those two conventions are in the spring um, and then uh, brick cons in the fall, and that that spring fall uh, combination is sort of perfect for me. Um, yeah. I did one year go to, I guess, four conventions in one year because the year after my book came out, I did go to brick con, brick can, uh, brick world Chicago, and bricks cascade all in the in this in 2016. <laughs> uh, but that's that's a lot and i yeah. i feel like while, while there are people that go to you know a dozen a year that that's more than than i need yeah that's it exactly yeah because it's a lot of travel as well <laughs> it's a lot of travel it's a lot of expense it's a lot of time yeah um and and lego is a strong hobby of mine but it's not my only hobby <laughs> so, yeah. well as you said you got family as well so yeah and the labels and the every other resource you do um yeah last but not least um favorite lego memory <laughs> um or strongest lego memory anything really i mean i think that um it's i don't have a single strongest lego memory yep um, because it's sort of been a part of many phases of my life um, there was definitely that the period that I didn't build very much, but it's kind of always been around. Um, the strongest memories that come to mind, though, um, probably uh, one of the last really intensive Lego moments I had sort of as a kid. I was probably 13 or 14. And a buddy of mine and I were, um, we had created this scene. And actually, I, I, I could probably date it. I might have been 15 or 16 because it was a band playing at an outdoor concert. And I think that it was like Oasis and Silverchair. So I'm, I'm, oh, I'm dating nice. it pretty well by that. And there's like uh, a bunch of people in the crowd. And then there's like a guy in the corner trying to steal the keg or something. 
and we made it into a bad stop motion video with like an old school VHS camcorder because uh, we didn't have like digital cameras or anything. Um, and you just hit record and stop as quickly as you could and you'd get a couple frames worth yep. of video for each frame. Um, and it was totally jittery and unwatchable, but um, I remember that being a lot of fun. And that was one of the like sort of last, you know, really enthusiastic Lego memories as, as a kid. Um, and then, I mean, it's hard, it's hard not to say it uh, in more recent history, like holding this book that I had poured my soul into for a year and a half, like in my hand for the first time when like the pre-release copy came out. Yeah. That was pretty crazy because it, it kind of felt real <laughs> um, and started the process of making maybe it worth it because it's just so much work yeah. um, to, to write a book, um, to do all that. Um, and of course I am so pleased with the finished product, but oh my gosh, so much work. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that was pretty cool. And beyond that, it's, it's just been a sort of steady stream of, of really good experiences of meeting people that I had not met before at cons, you know, trying yep. to learn how to connect with other builders in this weird last year, we've just all been living and, yep. um, you know, trying to learn how to write the perfect Lego review um, <laughs> because I don't like really long reviews. I want to, I want them to get to the point a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, um, and I feel like I've dialed the, the Lego set review to the point where I feel okay about maybe writing a few fewer reviews in the, in the coming years. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I do that's uncommon is I do hold myself to actually giving a numeric rating to each set I review, yep. which not a lot of the reviewers do. Um, and it's kind of brutal because it forces you to, it forces you to ask the hard question of, is this truly great? Could this have been better? Yeah. Um, and I even like, cause I'm a nerd, I hold myself to sort of a bell curve where I try not to give more than like 15% of sets that five out of five rating. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because uh, it's just so common for everyone to be like, oh, it's the best Lego set ever. And I'm like, yeah. was it no. or was it just really good? Because yeah. they're all really good. But like, was it the best? Yeah. Should I buy this one or this other one? Because, you know, yeah, you can't go chucking fives out infinite. there willy nilly. <laughs> exactly. So um, but that's that's been a real journey. Um, and I feel like I kind of dialed that in and eager to do other <laughs> types of articles, too, again, um, and build more, honestly. I was, I was joking to my wife and I said, um, I said, well, if I ever have to do Lego reviews, I'll be like, Greg's five second Lego reviews. I built it. I liked it. Maybe you will too. I, I think trying to do reviews uh, in an audio medium will be <laughs> interesting. So if you do pursue uh, being uh, in the, the what, ambassador program or whatever, mm. um, have you'll have fun with that. Yeah. Maybe you just shouldn't try. I don't know. Finally, um, how can people find you? Like, what's 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 your socials? Um, yeah, how can they um, see old I, Tom? I am really bad at social media. I have a Facebook account and a Twitter account and a Instagram account. I think I made a TikTok, but only to make sure nobody else used that address. Um, <laughs> but really, honestly, the easiest way to connect with me is brickarchitect.com. Um, yep the vast majority of my projects are all there. Um, I try to keep the website up to date. 
Um, and if I do stuff that is easier to find in a different medium, I, I'll tend to post it right in the sort of the feed on the homepage anyway. So yeah, yeah brickarchitect.com. That's where you'll find me. Rockin'. Yeah. It has been an absolute pleasure. I know I say it every time, <laughs> but it always is. Uh, it's been awesome chatting with you. And I'm glad we, we got to actually have this conversation because um, yeah, I'd been a fan of yours for quite some time. And and likewise, I've been really enjoying what you're doing. Um, just keep keep at it. Yeah, you too. Um, I need more stuff to label. And and one of these days when my two-year-old's not two anymore, I'll, I'll come down there at some point. Yeah, bloody oath. That's the day. Well, that's it for this week's episode of For the Love of Brick. Now, if you want to learn a little bit more about Tom go check out his website, brickarchitect.com. Now, if you'd like the podcast, feel free to check out some of the other episodes. And finally, when I started this podcast, I didn't put Lego in any of the descriptions. So if you could spread the word throughout the Lego community about how awesome this podcast is, that would be great. And last but not least, if you'd like to head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review or even some star ratings, that would help greatly in boosting us up and helping people find us. But yeah, thank you for listening. And until next time, keep loving the bricks. <laughs>